Let's open our Bibles today to uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 26. I'd like to talk to you about uh, communion this morning because it's all connected with the season. Matthew, chapter 26, verse uh, 14, we're going to begin our reading. Boy, what an interesting story. You know, I love the Bible. I wrote that little note in your Sunday Courier about all my reading. Don't be too impressed. Uh, I, I'm, I'm addicted to the Bible. That's my addiction. Uh, verse number 14 says, and, uh, Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. Uh, for the last number of years here in the church, we've had a 30 pieces of silver offering. That means turning the price of betrayal into an offering of, uh, of love. So this is uh, Judas' version of let's make a deal. He'd made a deal. Okay, I'll deliver him to you 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread... Uh, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? In that verse, there are two terms, unleavened bread and Passover. That's the same thing. Uh, in the Bible, it, the Passover celebration was sometimes called the celebration of unleavened bread. And he said, go into the city and a certain man and say to him, teacher, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover. Look at that again, another term, the Passover. At your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed him and prepared the Passover one more time. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. I'm sure that that took most of them off guard, but not one. And he answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. Could we close that door? Right there? Uh, he who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Uh, it would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Jesus said, someone is going to betray me, and I, I just want you to know that it would have been better for him had he not been born. You know, we read, I've read that statement, like you, hundreds of times. And I thought, boy, that's really tragic because he's, he's in the context here, he's referring to Judas. But, you know, it's really tragic because, because in the context he's referring to everybody that doesn't accept Jesus Christ. Uh, for them, it would be better that all of them would have never been born because of the fate that they are going to have to face in the future. And so that's a pretty powerful statement. It comes right from the lips of Jesus. It's better if he wouldn't have been born. Then Judas, who was, betraying, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said, You have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples. And he said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, and for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins." But I say to you, I will not drink of it, of the fruit of the vine, from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out 
to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said, listen, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. Peter went into his normal defensive mode in verse 33. He says, listen, they might, but I won't. And the Lord says, listen, I'm going to tell you, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And uh, so the story goes. Uh, Communion, what is it? It's a snapshot of things to come. The word Passover is really big here in our text because it comes out of the Old Testament. Uh, It is the oldest religious holiday on the face of the earth which has been celebrated for now 34 centuries, uninhibited. Uh, Very soon, you and I will begin to see little signs around our town, Passover, for our Jewish community, out in Squirrel Hill, Monroeville, Mount Lebanon, uh, those areas. Uh, Actually, I think it begins on April the 9th, which is Thursday, the night we'll be having our first uh, musical presentation here in the church. They'll be starting their Passover celebration in their house. Uh, You know, a picture is worth a thousand words, as you know. And here Jesus is drawing a picture for communion at Passover time. And it all starts out at Passover. This is said to be the crown jewel of the festivals of Israel. Three times each year, I know many of you know this, three times each year Jewish males were required to show up in Jerusalem. If they didn't live too far away, they could make the journey. Uh, for, for three festivals. Uh, let's see, we have that in Deuteronomy 16. Let's read this together, okay? Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Well, that's interesting. Uh, three major festivals. The first one is called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which we just saw is also the Feast of Passover. That's the major one. That's the most important one. Second one is the Feast of Weeks. That's Pentecost. And the third one is the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, they were required to show up, and boy, did they show up. Not only did the local people show up that were following this command of the Lord, But uh, foreign travelers showed up from around the world. Jews have always had a dream that if they could just one time go to Jerusalem. And so all over the world, when Jewish Jewish people are sprinkled all over the world, that's the dream in their heart. I just want to go one time. Well, uh, Judas had just made a deal to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. It's the first day of unleavened bread. Uh, Jesus said in Luke's account, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat the Passover with you. This is important. Uh, what do we call this communion? We call It goes by numbers of names. Let me just give you a few. I've written some on your notes for you today. Uh, first of all, I guess the, one of the common terms is the Lord's Supper. And uh, the scripture there, if you want to write, write it down, is 1 Corinthians 11, 20 and 21. The table of the Lord, is, we call it God's, the Lord's Supper because he instituted it. Another term that our church doesn't use, but some churches do use, is the term Eucharist. Sometimes you drive down the street, you see Eucharist on the sign. Well, that's a, that's a Greek word, uh, and it means thanksgiving, and it's found in Matthew 26, 27 there, and we just read it. 
uh, and it means giving thanks. So that, that word's okay, Eucharist. Um, another word is the word communion. Uh, we have communion. We, we refer to that a lot, and that word is found in 1 Corinthians 10, 16. And what that simply means is when we come together to partake of the Lord's table, the Eucharist, communion, uh, we're having communion with the Lord, and we're having communion with each other, fellowship, the right kind of fellowship, uh, not just a coffee club, uh, not just a, a card party, uh, but a fellowship around the things of God. Another term that uh, oftentimes people use is just simply the breaking of bread. Uh, have you seen that in the Bible, Acts 2.42? They, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. Uh, I think that when the early church got together, uh, they probably had communion all the time. That was probably what they did. They probably met together and preached together and had communion together. Uh, it was here in this context, though, the Passover. And this, is gonna, this will kind of trick your mind out a little bit this morning. It's going to be hard going back into the old Passover and up into the communion idea. But Jesus here is, is doing the Passover, as I said to you before. Uh, and it's a similar scene. Uh, and at the end of the Passover meal, now he institutes what you and I call the Lord's Supper. Um, he, first of all, took bread. Let's look at that in verse 20, 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it, and, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took bread. This bread, by the way, was unleavened bread. Because that's the kind they had in Israel at that time because they were doing the Passover. And in the Passover, in the Old Testament, they couldn't do the Passover correctly, biblically, unless it was unleavened bread. That simply means bread without yeast. Now, the ladies will probably know a whole lot more about this. Leaven was fermented bread. And it symbolizes evil, destruction, corruption, disintegration. And so uh, in the Old Testament, whenever the Passover was instituted, they, have to, they had to do a search in their house. And they had to go through the house, and they had to search out leaven. And they had to get rid of it. And they do that in Squirrel Hill, Monroeville, and Pittsburgh today. When they prepare for the Passover, they do a search throughout their house. They get all of the leaven out, all the yeast out, uh, because it's a picture of, uh, of sin. And so whenever they come to this sacred time, they want to make sure that, hey, listen, this, uh, as far as we know, boy, we've got everything cleaned out. It's a symbol of uh, the things that need to be cleaned out in our life. Whenever we come before the Lord, I'll tell you, it's good to be as clean in the, as possible in our heart. Amen? It really is. And so, and so uh, this was unleavened bread. The second thing he did, the Bible says here, is he blessed it. Uh, I use this for justification for blessing. Uh, I like to say the blessing. I remember when my kids were young, I used to do these long blessings at the food. It's not a good idea. You can't make friends and influence people in your family when you do that. You know, it's a, the kid's just dying to eat, and you're going on and on praying for all your missionaries and uh, all the people you know around the world, and kids are getting madder and madder. I, I think it's good to say the blessing. You know, I, I, sometimes, you know, you go out at a restaurant, and you see, I don't like to make a scene at a restaurant. I don't like to, like, get in the middle of the restaurant and, and get up on the table and say the blessing. Uh, but, I, but I really feel good about honoring the Lord. 
Some of the stuff we eat today really needs a blessing of God, don't you think? It really does. So he blessed it. And then he broke it. This, uh, this, bread, this bread that he had there was thin. It was like a pancake. And it was easily broken into pieces. And so he broke it and he passed it down. They, they all broke a piece off the bread as he passed it along the line. Uh, what did that simple act mean? He took the bread and he broke it. I think it means this. I think he was trying to say that this act, of which this is a picture, is of my orchestration. Now, we know the bread symbolizes the body of Christ. Man is not saved from the bottom up, but from the top down. Uh, man didn't essentially, in, in the strictest term, kill Jesus on the cross. Yeah, he participated in the orchestration of it. But, uh, but the first person who, who planned it was God himself. And so Jesus said, listen, I'm going to break my body. I am the orchestrator of the broken body. Uh, salvation, and, and we can't say this enough in our world today, and I know that many of you here in this church this morning are church people, but uh, the, the people that we rub shoulders with throughout the week aren't. We can't, uh, we can't say enough that salvation is not by works. That's from the bottom up. Salvation is by grace from the top down. Salvation is something that God does for us, not something we do for ourselves or we do for God. Uh, Titus 3.5, you know what that says. Not, uh, for, for his mercy, for by his mercy he saves us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Well, uh, here he breaks the bread. And, uh, and then he says, take, eat, this is my body. That's verse number 26. Let's look at it. Take, eat, this is my body. And then he further says, then he took the cup and he gave thanks. And there's the word Eucharist right there in the Greek, gave thanks. And he gave it to them and saying, Drink from it, all of you. Uh, he said, this is my body, this is my blood. Now, I believe, and I, th I think most of you do too, that Jesus is speaking figuratively here. The bread represents his body, and I've written that in my mar margin of my Bible. Figurative represents. And so I think we could say uh, with pretty good authority that when Jesus said, this bread represents my body, this cup represents my blood. That's what he was referring to. Now, I know there's always a debate. There's been, if you go back into history, uh, you know, some people believe that this is the actual blood of Jesus and the actual body of Jesus. Uh, and uh, they call that, of course, transubstantiation. And then they came up with a, another little compromise, which is called consubstantiation, which means that... Uh, that uh, Jesus is up and under and around in some spiritual way, the act of communion. Well, I, I've done a lot of study on this, but I'm not a theological student per se. Uh, but I think Jesus is saying uh, the same thing that you and I are saying when we open our wallet and uh, we show our grandkids and we say, hey, look at Billy. Now, that's not Billy, is it? It represents Billy. Uh, Billy's home. He's with, he's with his grandparents, and we're happy. Um, this is a representation. Jesus said, this, the, these symbols represent me. Now, and what Jesus is doing here, and this is so interesting, and I, 
you know, I, I know it's a, a load to put on you. I've been studying this all week. Uh, but it's so interesting that Jesus, the symbols of the Passover supper, they meant something. And now Jesus is kind of like changing the meaning of the symbols at the supper. Uh, remember, there was the lamb. They were eating the lamb that they had roasted for Passover, and that was the substitute. Um, they were eating the unleavened bread. And that, that symbol meant that they, they left Egypt in a hurry. The bread couldn't even rise. You know, they, they put this bread together, and they had, to, they had to get out of town. And then they had bitter herbs there, and that, and that meant the bitter bondage that they experienced down in, down in Egypt. And then they had the cup, too, and the cup was the cup of thanksgiving. And so they had their mindset about what those particular symbols meant, and so Jesus is saying right here, now listen, I'm going to put new light on these old symbols and new meaning into them. And he called it, look at, look at this with me, please, this morning. And he called it a new covenant. Now that's interesting. Uh, because whenever we think of covenants, you know, we think of, it really means a new agreement. Jesus is saying, I'm coming up with a new plan. You know, you had the old plan, and the old plan was in effect for all these centuries. And, and uh, I told you, come and do the Passover meal, and you did it, and that's good. But now we have a new plan on the horizon. It's called the New Covenant. Uh, in the Bible, there are many different covenants, as you know. Uh, but two basic ones, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Uh, in the feature, there is a feature in the Old Covenant called the forgiveness element. And in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, God had this plan. He said, listen, this is the way we're going to do this. God would agree to forgive people's sins if they would bring an animal for sacrifice. And that agreement was sealed with the blood of the animals. The animals had to die. Because the Bible says, the soul that sins, it shall what? It shall die. And so, so he said, listen, I'll let this be your substitute, this animal. This was the arrangement that, he was, that they had to do, and they had to do it all the time. It was like a temporary arrangement. And, you know, you read the Old Testament, and it's like these animals are dying all the time, day in and day out, week in and week out. This was everybody was sacrificing animals. It was only temporary. But when you go to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, it's like, whoa. The book of Hebrews in the Old Testament says, listen, that's gone. We have a new day. We have a new day. And so Jesus says here, I have a new agreement that we're going to make. This new agreement is going to put a lot of people out of work. Because there were a lot of people raising these sheep all around Jerusalem in the fields of Bethlehem. They're going to be, somebody's moved their cheese, if you've read that book. Uh, and so this is the new agreement. Let's look at it. Jesus would die in the place of the sinner. Jesus would be the lamb. Oh, John 1.29. Let's, let's, uh, let's read this together. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus said, you know, all these, all these lambs that we've been sacrificing, we're not going to do that anymore. I'm going to be the lamb. And here we find the introduction. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, there's another verse that I love in conjunction with this. It's 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Let's read that together. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, 
since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Christ our Passover. Christ our offering was sacrificed for us. And so what he's doing here is he is observing the Passover before he becomes the Passover. Uh, that, the first feature there was Jesus would die on the place of a sinner. No longer would people have to bring all these lambs to the temple. No longer would all these priests have to, have to slay all these lambs and, and all, this, all these things going on. Jesus said, listen, I'm going to step up. I'll be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Another feature is Jesus would remove the sins of all who would put their faith in him. Um, Jesus would remove their sins, the sins of all who put their faith in him. This is not repeated, but a once-for-all sacrifice. From an unblemished lamb of the first year on an altar to a perfect lamb on a cross. Uh, this is going to change everything. This is going to change the whole priesthood. Uh, this is going to change the whole sacrificial system. Jesus is going to be the sacrifice. Uh, there is no better. Uh, there is no better place to describe this than Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Uh, let's let's read some of these verses here. Let's read it together. But he was wounded. For our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Let's go. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on Jesus the sin of us all. Uh, all we like sheep have gone astray. We haven't. We've done that, haven't we? We're good at that. Uh, you, we just do our own thing. We've turned everyone and we've done our own thing. And in spite of it all, the Bible says the Lord, that's God the Father, has laid on him, that's God the Son, the sin of us all. I like to illustrate it this way. Uh, some of you have seen this illustration before. Uh, God loves us, you know, and, and I, we all understand that, don't we? The greatest verse in the Bible is what? John 3, what? I think that's the greatest verse. Let's quote it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, there's a lot in that verse. Uh, God loves us. The Bible says... Uh, he loves us. First John 4, 8, God is love. But we have this sin issue. We have this problem. This is the problem. And uh, since God is not only a God of love, but he's also a God of justice, all these issues have to be dealt with. They can't be swept under the rug. And so uh, when we're born, we're born into sin. We're sinners by birth. We're sinners by choice. All of us agree in the church, we are sinners. Can I have an amen? Okay. And so, uh, and, so, and so we struggle with this. People come to church and they say, hey, listen, I know I shouldn't do that, and I know I shouldn't do that. And so first of the year we turn our life over and we turn it over again, and every year thereafter we turn over another new leaf, and we, in the middle of the year we try other things, and, but we just can't shake it. It won't leave, will it? 
he won't leave. Uh, and so the Bible says in Exodus 34, 7, I will not let the guilty go unpunished. So God loves you, but he's not going to let you go unpunished because if he did, he wouldn't be God and he wouldn't keep his word and we wouldn't have any faith in him. And the reason why we love God so much is because he keeps his word. Amen. He's a person of his word. Uh, and, so, and so we have this, this impossible situation. Man left to himself has an impossible situation. Uh, but God said one day he sent his son on a rescue mission to planet Earth. And here comes Jesus without this, like this, no sin, into the world. The Bible says he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's called the great exchange. So here comes Jesus, no sin, no to do something miraculous for you and me. And this verse tells us here. Uh, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here comes Jesus. He's perfect. And on the cross, God says, okay, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the sin of the world. I'm going to put it on Jesus. Every sin that you ever committed, every sin that I ever committed, past, present, and future, was laid upon Jesus on the cross. And uh, remember he said it was finished. It's the Greek word to tetelestai. It means to be paid in full. He didn't make a partial payment on sin of the world on the cross. He did it in full. It's all paid in full. And so, uh, and so when Jesus died on the cross, God the Father put all the sins of all the, all, all the world upon his son and it killed him. He, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, he took our penalty on the cross. Uh, he took my death. Because remember, I was under the condemnation of death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. And so Jesus stepped between me and the wrath of God, me and the justice of God, and said, listen, John, I'll pay your debt. I'll be your substitute. And so that's God's new arrangement. That's his final solution. Uh, God gave his life Jesus gave his life so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty of our sins. And what is the penalty of our sins? This is it. Let's read the last line together, okay? Eternal separation from God in hell forever. That's the penalty of our sin. Sometimes people say in our world, you know, you know I'm not a bad person. Uh, you know, I haven't hurt anybody. I try, to keep, I try to do good. I try to give some money to the church. I cut my neighbor's grass. I do all these things. Listen, this is the end of a person without forgiveness. Eternal separation from God in hell forever. It's not a slap on the wrist. It's not a second chance. It's not 40 years in purgatory. It's that. And so, and so then we come to church and, uh, and we see, listen, Jesus did all of this for us. He did it for you. And he did it for me. And, uh, and our response to this must be, we must look into our heart and admit that we need a Savior. Can we do that today? We need a Savior. Remember, salvation is not from the bottom up. It's from the top down. We must admit, listen, this is so cool. We must admit that this is our problem. And there's only one person on the planet that can solve our problem, and that's Christ.
And this is why people don't have fellowship with God. Because here's God and he's perfect. And here we are and we have this barrier. But when we confess our sins and when we turn to Christ, this is what happens. Watch. God forgives us of our sins. And we can communicate with Christ. Isn't that beautiful? What what sins does God forgive us of? He forgives us of all of our sins. Psalm 103, verse 11, uh, says, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Uh, All of them. And so here we are, and we come to Christ, and we ask him to forgive us of our sins, and, and, uh, and they fall away in his sight, and we're justified, we're declared righteous. And so that's when we can go home and we can say, holy moly, uh, look what God did to me. And we come together in the church and we say, you know, I know who I am really on the inside. But you know, when you ask Jesus for forgiveness, he answers your prayer. Because the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. And so, and so sometimes our faith wavers a little bit. And we think, you know, am I really, you know, I don't live the way I wish I could live and I don't think the way I should think. Am I really, we have to, we are, we are basing our salvation not on our feelings or we're basing our salvation on the word of God. If we respond to what God's word tells us to do, we are saved upon the authority of God's word. Now, I like that because, you know, I could go like this pretty easy. Uh... But I have to come back to God's word and I have to say, listen, he knows a whole lot more about this than I do. And sometimes we get, our faith gets a little shaky and we say, yeah, am I really a Christian? Uh, Jesus said, listen, I'm going to make this arrangement with you and I'm going to seal it in my blood. You've heard, you've heard of uh, people making agreements and they say, listen, I got the signature on the line. Look, here it is. He signed it. Well, you know... Jesus signed what I'm talking to you about this morning in his blood. And so when we get a little shaky and we think, hey, what about this thing? We just have to realize, listen, Jesus uh, signed this agreement in his blood. And, you know, that's, you can't get any better than that. Uh, we celebrate this morning our Passover. In Egypt, remember, they painted the door. And the only thing that saved the people in the house was the blood on the door. Uh, the, only th- the only thing that can save us is the application of the blood of Christ in our life. We can come to church every Easter. We can hear the message every year and never be changed. But if we personally experience the blood of Jesus for our forgiveness, uh, we, uh, the death angels passing over us. Because Jesus said, he who believes in me shall never die. Isn't that wonderful? We have a hope. Let's bow our heads in prayer, please. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I'd like to ask those who are serving communion to come forward, please. Uh, this is our celebration. We're, we're celebration, celebrating today the new covenant, the new arrangement. Uh, this is a celebration of communion. It's a celebration of thanksgiving. We're thanking God for all of these things.
this is a wonderful thing. God did for us something that we could never dream to do for ourselves. And so if you're here today, I'd like to invite you to look deep, deeply down in your heart. Every time we come to the time of communion, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11:28, let a man examine himself. Now look down in your heart. Uh, where's the leaven in your life? Uh, where are the things in your life that need to be swept out and swept away? Uh, maybe there's something big and God's really been speaking to you about it. Well, I'll tell you what, you could, you could change that right now before we take communion. But maybe there are other issues in your life that will take months or years to work out. Well, start the journey. Start the journey today. Look into your heart. Let's say, Lord, look into my life. Search me and know me. Know my heart. Try me. See if there is any wicked way in me and then lead me in the way everlasting. Let's prepare our heart. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the meaning of communion. You've instituted it. You've told us to this do as often as we do it in remembrance of you. And so, Lord, even though you did it uh, in a prophetic way, we're doing it in a, in a memorial service right here. We're remembering what you've done for us. We pray that you'll make it very meaningful to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.